Good morning, everyone. We are uh, glad that you're here. And uh, we appreciate all the uh, Sunday school classes for uh, taking a furlough and coming in to, uh, to join this presentation with Paul Snyder. So let me, uh, let me begin. I want to introduce Paul, but just kind of tell you a little bit about our, our connection with Paul. Um, the first time we had Paul in our church was in 2010. So that's been 13 years that we've had the privilege of being connected with, uh, with Paul. And in 2014, he went on, well, he started working with Heart Cry, Paul Washer's uh, missionary organization, and he's been with them uh, since 2014. thing about Paul I want to tell you about is that he is a godly example of perseverance in the ministry. And the reason for that is because God led him to go to Papua, Indonesia, to work in the jungles to bring the gospel basically to, to jungle tribes. This is not an easy lifestyle at all. Just think of giving up all your conveniences, air conditioning, you know, cars, all the, all the things that we enjoy. Again, they don't have that when you're living in the jungle. The temperature is around 90 degrees. Is that year-round, pretty much? Humidity is like 95%. So even when he's preaching, he's just dripping with sweat. So he'll be standing in a pool of sweat. And this is like all the time, sleeping under a mosquito net uh, with a little fan uh, that's... You know, they have solar batteries to operate some basic uh, amenities like that. But uh, so you, you first arrived there in, what, 2011? Well, so he was there for, uh, for a few years. In 2015, he contracted uh, dengue fever for six months, and that de- debilitated him. And uh, he's had malaria three times. In 2018, he came down with chikungunya. Is that close? Sounds like chicken. You know, we all know, but it's a different word. But it's chikungunya. And this is a mosquito-transmitted disease. Is that right? And so he uh, had to come back to the States to recover because his health was just uh, horrible. Spent a month in the hospital. And then he also at that time he contracted Guillain-Barre, which had paralyzed his body. It had affected his brain. And even today, I mean, he's still struggling with part of that paralysis or effect of that, I think, in some ways. He was able to go back to uh, Papua in 2019 for about six months, and then his health broke just from all of the diseases, the difficulties of laboring for the gospel out of his love for Christ in a, in a country that just physically beat him up and chewed him up and spit him out, basically. His health broke in 2019. So he had to come back to the States. He's been slowly, gradually uh, recovering his health in 2020. 
when he came back in 2019, uh, there was a lot of uh, depression, deep, dark days of discouragement, just because of the physical effects of the diseases that he's wrestled with over in Papua. So in 2020, because he couldn't go back to the field and serve the Lord, he went on staff. He was invited to go on staff with Heart Cry. And so because of all that he's endured, he has a lot of fatigue. And his stamina is still iffy. And uh, he's... And I say all of that just to, to point out that here's a, here's a brother that has paid the price for the gospel in his health. He's experienced a broken health. He's experienced uh, struggles. His whole family has suffered in many ways for their love for Jesus Christ and their desire to take the gospel to an unreached people group. And in my opinion... Um, Men like this should be honored and we should praise God for the way the Lord has uh, sustained them. Uh, Paul has been able to go back to Papua once this year for uh, about a month. He hopes to go back again later this year. And in January, Lord willing, if his health holds up, he plans to go back there permanently to continue the ministry Uh, in this jungle village that he's been a part of. So I just praise God for for men like this uh, because he's willing to leave it all and sacrifice it all so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can be spread and men can be trained up to, to lead the church and to carry on the ministry there. So we are blessed to have Paul Snyder with us today. And he's going to share some about his ministry in this hour and then he'll uh, minister the Word of God to us uh, in the worship service. But um, I praise God for what He has done and will continue to do in your life, Paul. And we're so blessed to have you with us here today. So please come up and, and share with us. Thank you. Well, good morning. Wow, this is a treat for me to be able to be with you again after... Uh, several years, um, you know, when he was, when Pastor Allen was introducing me, I just want to make one thing clear to you: um, it's all of Christ. I'm just a man. Um, I have no strength in me, whatever, unless the Holy Spirit gives it to me. Uh, but if I can endure until the day I die in Papua, that's where I want to be, if the Lord wills that. So you can pray for that. You can pray that the Lord would send us back in January and um, that we could labor once again to minister to the Korowai, the northern Korowai people, and continue the, the discipleship of the church leaders that God has raised up. There's a handful of Korowai believers now that we have that are wanting to lead the churches. And then we also have the Donnie Evangelists that are helping also, there are teammates that you'll get to meet in the slides. Second uh, Timothy 2.2 is uh, so important. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, con- commit thou to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And, you know, you're looking at four generations just in that one verse. So please pray that we can return. We have to set up our son. Our son will not be going back with us. This will be the first time. <laughs> 
He was raised in the jungle, but we're going to set him up in North Carolina, and he'll be out on his own. And so pray for all these things. Uh, the Lord is able, and he'll never fail. Um, what I'd like to do is uh, these slides, hopefully, will give you a picture of what God's done over the last 10 years or more now um, with translation, with the church, with the school, with the dormitory, uh, with some of the, the violent Korowai men that were in the village. I mean, just to watch, sit back and watch what God has done through the t- Danawage team is just, um, it's, it gives all glory to Him when, we, uh, when I allow you to see what, what He's done. So that's my aim this morning. And, uh, but what I'd like to do first is, uh, will you pray with me? And then we'll get started with the slides. Father in heaven, oh God, you are so kind. You are so gentle, so loving. Your love abounds more than all the water in the ocean. I thank you for that love that you've shown us through your Son, our Lord Jesus. Oh God, would you please, please show that love to the Korowai people. Save them. Save them, Father. Grant them repentance through the labors of all those that over the years have given so much. Oh, I thank you for what you've done there. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the partnership we've had in the gospel these many years. Would you bless this church? Sanctify your people here. Oh, Father, grow them. Help our relationship to grow. Cause unity, cause unity in the Word through the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray if there's anyone that's here that does not know you with, in saving faith, that you would work in their hearts, grant repentance to them. I thank you for this time with your people. Guard my mouth and help it to be clear. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, Indonesia is, it's about uh, the size of the U.S. in population. Uh, It ranges from on the east or on the west from Sumatra all the way down to the east, the highlighted red, uh, 17,000 islands, 6,000 of those are inhabited. Uh, we We live in where you'll see the word Jayapura, that is the capital of Papua, Indonesia, and uh, it is around 7 million people. Indonesia is the fourth largest Muslim country. And so when you have uh, Papuan tribal people, and you get a, now we're seeing an influx of transmigrants, of, of Muslims that are moving in to Papua. So now half the island is Islamic. And so Islam has moved in over the last few decades. And so there's an opportunity there for missionaries to work with Muslim groups that are now in a lot of the major cities uh, in Papua. It's not just, uh, you know, you can find, uh, I live in one of the most remote places in the world, right in the middle of the jungle, and you can find uh, different religions in the jungle. You can find false teachers in the jungle. Satan is hard at work in the most remote places as well, to send false teachers, to send false religions into those places to deceive the people. And so we've been battling with that. So now we have um, half of the island is tribal and half of the island is Islamic. In the 1950s after World War II, 
Christianity came to Papua, Indonesia. And, it's, it, and if you look at the island, it looks like a big turkey. You see the turkey head with the tail. The tail side is Papua New Guinea. Uh, sometimes it gets confusing, and that's okay. People think we live, work in Papua New Guinea. It's actually, we work on the, with the highlighted red, the Papua Indonesia. The other side of the island is Papua New Guinea. It's, it's self-governing. Indonesia owns all that's in red. So we've been working there for over 12 years now and uh, in a tribal group known as the Korowai tribe. And those of you that don't know about that yet, I'm hoping to give you a good glimpse of that today, of what God has done over the last 10 years through our efforts there. Um, these, are, these are the treehouse people. Uh, National Geographic's been out to our village, out to the Korowai area. They've done an article on the tree, called it the Treehouse People. Smithsonian's been out. They've done an article called Sleeping with Cannibals. Uh, BBC's been out. We get a lot of different, especially from Europe, a lot of, a lot of companies that want to come out and see the naked man in the treehouse. We get a lot of Europeans that come out wanting to uh, go on a vacation and hike through the jungle to have the experience that they want to take back to Europe where they've slept in a treehouse and they've been with former cannibals. A lot of attention has been given uh, to the Korowai tribe over the last several decades. But these people are known for their treehouses. And usually they'll build their treehouses 8 to 10 meters off the ground for various reasons. Uh, one reason is that they still believe in their worldview that a flood is coming. Now that's interesting, isn't it? They also believe that witches roam the jungle floor. It's called a kakua. Many years ago, the Asmat tribe, and if you've ever read the book Lords of the Earth, uh, if you've ever heard of Don Richardson, he was actually south of me, probably about 35 to 40 minutes by float plane uh, in the Asmat tribe. The Asmat people would come up and headhunt the Korowai tribe. And so they believe that it's easier to hit their enemy from a better target from up high. So various reasons why they build their tree houses, but this is what they're known for. Uh, and I did, when, when my wife and I moved into there and surveyed this area, uh, we weren't planning on living in a tree house. Uh, in fact, we don't live in a tree house. Uh, I built my wife uh, a jungle house. It's mostly screen because it's so hot. Let the air flow through if there is an air, <laughs> if there is wind. Uh, I built her a jungle house about six feet off the ground, so we do not live in tree houses like this. We've had people come out that have actually fallen from tree houses, so it's very dangerous. Uh, they use one central pole in the middle of the tree house. Uh, they notch out a pole and they'll climb up the tree house, and several Korowai kids have fallen and broken arms that way until they learn how to climb up their own tree house. I remember my first survey in 2009, I went to see where the Lord would use our giftings. And I went into the Korowai region and we got rained out on the river. So there was this treehouse clan off the edge of the river and uh, the river was rising fast. So we got out and we spent the night in this treehouse and there were 25 clan members in this treehouse. And uh, my partner at the time and I uh, slept against the middle tree. There's a, you be, usually there's a huge tree that's central in the treehouse that goes right up through the middle. And so we slept against that tree just in case it fell because there was roughly, with the teammates, there was roughly about 30 people in this treehouse. And I remember the ladies uh, moving their sago bread and all the spiders and roaches 
moving out of the way so we could lay down and uh, the ladies, the Korowai ladies would cover their heads and they, would, they chanted by the fire all night because they had never experienced uh, a Westerner sleeping in their treehouse. So they were very afraid. Um, these are the treehouse people that, that are animistic. Um, they live in constant fear. I mean, you'll see the clans like this, you know, that uh, occupy a treehouse. This, this shot was taken just several years ago of a clan in a treehouse. Um, you know, constant fear. Constant fear of an evil spirit called Saib. How do you go to a tribal group like this and preach the gospel and break that stronghold? I was telling Pastor Allen last night, I truly believe after years of living there that a powerful demon was over the Korowai people. I really believe that. That he had a hold on them. And over the years as we've preached and seen people grow in their faith and seen people repent and believe, that stronghold has been broken. And I get to show you some of those people of what God has done in their hearts. Um, but this is, this is a typical treehouse. You can see in the middle the pole that they use, uh, many clans. You, usually to form villages like I live in now, there are 25 Korowai villages up and down a river basin. That is not Korowai culture. Each clan is, uh, usually does not mess with other clans. But in God's providence, now isn't that, isn't that just the sovereign? Think about that. Before we went in there, there were no villages in the north. All of a sudden, they start forming villages. By God's providence, villages were formed so that we could live with these people and plant churches in each of these villages and have national men fill the position of leadership until God raises up Korowai men to lead the church. Because that's our goal. We want to see Korowai men, Korowai believers, leading Korowai believers. And so that's the goal. That is, that is what I'm so passionate about. Um, and you'll get to meet some of these guys in the photos. Here's another couple of pictures. You'll see a new village that was formed. Uh, you know, since I've been there, about three new villages have formed over the last decade. In, in our northern region, we have about 12 villages that I minister to. For many years, uh, the north was closed off. In the 1970s, a Dutch Reformed missionary from the Netherlands came with his teammate to the southern Korowai in the furthest village there. And he planted himself in that village and did a linguistic work with the southern dialect. He tried to get into the north, but the northern people stopped him. He would have died. They would not let anybody. The northern people were so scared. They didn't want any outside influence whatsoever. Up until the year 2001. Now you think about that. 2,000 years. And I don't know the history of the Korowai, even if they were around 500 years ago. Uh, but you think about that. 2,000 years. Finally, we get someone in there that is preaching the gospel. 2001, a Donnie Christian from the mountains went in with just his backpack and a little bit of medicine, and he in a, slept in a treehouse for six months, ministering to this clan, and a village was formed out of that, and that's my village now, Danawage, that you get to see pictures of. So many villages have formed, 12 villages, and each village has a church, but we're still needing faithful men to fill these positions. We don't have enough men. 
to do that. And even, and it's not just the Korowai. There are multiple tribes to my south where nobody wants to go. Nobody wants to move there. There is no gospel witness there. And I've asked myself that question over and over as I've ministered because it really breaks my heart. Why is it? Why is it that that uh, even America and Australia and Canada and now Korea and New Zealand, why is it that we have been entrusted with such a message and been given so much gifting with, with training? And why is it that there are no people down there? Where are the people? There are so many, so many tribes still without the message of the gospel let alone someone to disciple the believers that may be there. So you can pray for that. Pray for all of Indonesia. A lot of places are like that in Indonesia. A lot of places are like that. So the Korowai tribe in the north are about 2,000 people. That's who usually we minister to, moving back and forth to these 12 villages. And sometimes I can get to the south, but usually um, because I know the northern Korowai dialect, my main attention is to these people in the north. Uh, But we have gone to the south, especially if there's medical emergencies or um, there's an opportunity to teach and the people have gathered. We definitely don't want to ignore the southern Korowai at all. Here's the typical uh, Korowai man and woman from the treehouses. This man on the right, uh, we had hiked to a new village called Kenom Satu. And uh, they were having a Sago grub feast and uh, to dedicate the village and so everywhere we go, we take the good news and we take medicine. And so it was my turn to preach at this uh, Sago Grub Feast. And a Korowai man, a lot of clans there came in. And a Korowai man came out of the treehouse. He, he chose not to live in the villages or any of them. Uh, he came out of the treehouse. And uh, this man, I don't know if he's still alive. I, I, w- I wasn't able to see if he's still alive in June when I was back there just a few months ago. Uh, but he came out of the treehouse, and uh, because now that I was learning, knowing the language, I was able to talk with him about uh, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christus, Tamus Abul, and I got to share with him uh, about you know um, the good news of Jesus Christ. And he had a respiratory infection, and uh, we were able to treat him, and he was able to listen to the word of God. Uh, I'd like to find him to see if he's still alive. I don't know. Usually the average uh, lifespan of a Korowai when we first moved in there was about 45 years. Uh, but now that's, I think that's risen some to maybe about 55 to 60 uh, because of just this, what we've brought in with medicine, with antibiotics, with soap, with clothes, their way of life, uh, with salt. All these things help. Uh, so we've seen, we haven't seen as many deaths since we've uh, started bringing some of these things in. The Korowai woman on the, the right there holding her pig, usually they'll take the pigs up into the treehouse at night uh, to keep them safe from uh, theft or uh, other, you know, a lot of the pigs are uh, attacked, uh, especially the younger ones by older pigs. So this Korowai mama, she's holding her pig and she's got, you can see her amulet on, and usually those kinds of necklaces are to ward off malaria or ward off sickness. When we first got in there, many, many children, many women were wearing those. And now we don't even see one. We don't even see one. So praise God. 
I want to show you this clip of how we commute to work to different places. This is a helicopter ride to a village where we preach. Everywhere we go, we do two things. We preach the word and we treat the sick. I don't see any dichotomy in the New Testament between good works and good words. Everywhere Jesus went, he did two things. He preached the kingdom of God and he healed the sick. So here we're coming in back to our village. You can see Danawage. There's my house, the school. This is the missionary compound. We cleared it all out by hand with machetes and shovels. I even have the scars to prove it. And so sometimes when we're not feeling well enough or, the, you know, most villages are between uh, six to ten hour hike and it's really rough terrain, so the helicopter is a huge blessing. So we can take that helicopter and, and minister to three or four villages per day if the pilot is able to do that because a lot of times the pilot the pilot will look at me and he'll say, hey, the weather's closing in. I can't stay long. I've got to get going because he's got a family over the mountains he's got to get back to. Uh, he's got to you know, think about his safety. So a lot of the times he'll say, all right, we've got 30 minutes on the ground. Do what you need to do. And so I have to pack in sometimes uh, the preaching and the medical to 200 people within 30 minutes. Um, Sometimes I'm given a couple hours. It just depends on what kind of weather situation he has to face. So that's our commute to work. And when we go to these places, a lot of times um, when we're trying to get to these different villages, not just stay in my village, but minister to the surrounding villages, uh, they'll have what's called Sago Grub Feast. And this picture you can see the sacred pole of the Sago Grub Feast. They'll build a sacred fence around the central pole. And this is an altar where they offer their sago bread to the evil spirit Sype. And I don't know if you can see it on the ground. It's kind of dark, but you can see pineapples laying there. They'll put jungle vegetables at the altar, uh, fruit, cassowary meat, pig meat, sago bread. And they'll offer this to the evil spirit Sype so that he will be pleased with them and they'll have success in their gardens in their way of life, in their hunting, and uh, for fertility in their families. Usually a man will, is designated to walk around this sacred fence in his own footprints, and he'll speak gibberish, which is demonic, and he'll, be, he'll guard this sacred fence while the Sago Grub Feast is happening. We've tried to get to these Sago Grub Feast. When we first got there, we were uh, not allowed to go there because they knew we wanted to preach against it. But now, after 10 years of ministering, we're able to get to some of these. In fact, this one, my translator, and he's like a son to us, Waihu, which means revelation. Uh, Waihu uh, was able to stand at this altar and preach Jesus Christ to the people that were present. On the way back, he was receiving threats and he was followed. They just don't like... Something about these Sago Grub Feasts, they just don't like outside influence. But now, after 10 years, we're not seeing this kind of thing happen anymore. We're seeing Sago Grub Feasts, which is Korowai culture. That's great. But we're not seeing them give their food to Sipe or, or try to appease the evil spirit so that they'll have success in their families. What we're seeing now is us able to go and teach just like the man you saw that came out of the treehouse when I went to that village for that Sago Grub Feast, he was um, 
it was my turn to preach. And so I, I preached on Genesis 1 through 3, which several years ago, you weren't able to do that. So the strongholds have been broken over the years. As we can see, we have more influence and more access to proclaim the name of Jesus to these people. And this type of activity doesn't, is not as, if, it, if it's still happening in the Korowai region, we don't know about it. They won't tell us. And I had one young man come to the front porch uh, that claimed to be a Christian in 2016. And we heard of a saga grub feast happening downriver. And I said, listen, we want to go. I want to preach there. And uh, he said, no, you can't go. And I, and I asked, I started talking to him about that. And I said, well, why are you going? If they're going to do this kind of activity, you claim to be a follower of Jesus. Why are you going? And his response was, well, if Satan calls me, I go. That was his response. Now, he wasn't a Christian. Uh, he claimed to be. But a year later, the Lord took his life. That kind of thing we're not seeing as much anymore. We're seeing, we're seeing a whole different change of in their culture when they have these kinds of feasts and gatherings. We're seeing us able to go teach, us to do the medical work, uh, have good conversations with them, spend time with them, just loving on them. We don't see this kind of demonic activity anymore. Here is my regular commute to work. If I'm out of my village and I'm going to preach in another one, if I can't take the helicopter, then I hike there. If the river's too low, that's Watinus, one of the Donny Christians that was our teammate. Spider. So I think I ran into a spider there. So we're hiking to a village to preach. It's about 6 a.m. And it's uh, my turn to preach that morning. So um, I believe I was in the book of Genesis on this particular trip. And... It takes us about an hour and a half to hike there. And once I get there, I'm soaked with sweat, so I have to change clothes. I'm tired, I'm hungry, and I've got to gather the people for worship, which is a process. Watinus, the guy in front of me, he lost his wife and child in childbirth, and we buried them in the village. And he looks at me with tears in his eyes, and he says, I'm not leaving, this is my post. Um, those are the kind of men that I want to work with. Those are the kind of men that the books need to be written about. Men like Watinus that endures until the end. He doesn't want to leave, even though he's lost his whole family. So we have a good time hiking together in the village and um, arriving tired, but still ready to preach the word. So that's our commute to work. If the river's high, this is a little bit better commute. I can take this to the villages. It's a rock bottom, so it has to be high enough for us to go on one of these canoes, or, well, these boats. We used to go by dugout canoe and paddle, but now we have a little, uh, little motor that fits this river with these boats. And so you can see here, the river's high enough for us to get to this village. The man in front of me, the Korowai man there, he's passed away. Um, I do believe the Lord saved him. He showed fruit. Uh, before that, he had murdered two children at the river uh, because of cannabis to police. And he died of wasting disease while we were here in the States recovering. So who wants to go? <laughs>
Um, I want to tell. I want to talk to you a little bit about our translation that you have been a part of, and you've been supporting us and praying for us for many years now. I mean, this isn't just a new work. You've been involved with this. This is, you know, it's just not about Paul and Patricia Snyder. It's about Northwest Bible Church being on the field with us. You're a part of this, and so I want to talk about the, one of the highlights of this time with you this morning, with this particular slides. You can see the lady holding several books there. We've done a lot of translation uh, over the last few years. Since 2015, when I started translating the Salvation History Catechisms and learning the language, uh, it took me about eight years to complete that project. Uh, I have it with me. I want to show you this in person because you're a part of this. You allow us the opportunity to stay on the field with your prayers and support in order to do this kind of work. And so what I did was, eight years, I sat down with my language helper, and we translated 556 question and answer into the northern Korowai dialect. So it goes from Genesis to Revelation, 556 question and answer. And then I made a workbook of, um, out of this so that they can you know, write down, if they know how to write, uh, some of just probably the church leaders could only do that part, they can write down what they're learning from these question and answers, and each, each question and answer has scripture reference with it. So what I did was, on the, it's got the Northern Korowai dialect, and then it's also got the Indonesian translation. So if you open it, on the right side I put the Indonesian language, and on the left side I put the Northern Korowai language. Because the, the Korowai people can't read their language yet. This is a, a new language. It wasn't written until this book, the Northern Korowai dialect. This is the first translation that we have of that language. And so they can't read their language. So I want to focus on literacy now. Now that the orthography has been completed, you know, all the syntax and morphology has been done, I want to focus on so that they can read their own language. But how do you do that? Well... In order to bridge that gap so that they could learn these question and answers, I decided to put the Indonesian language because all Papuans know the Indonesian language. So they can, they can try reading and, and the church leaders can teach from the Indonesian language to the church. They can stand up in front of them and say, Daud Sabagi Raja Israel, David the King of Israel. And then they can go through the question and answers with the Korowai while they're learning the northern Korowai dialect. So we have two languages here that are bridging that gap for a while. We also put it on these little solar speakers. It has a little solar panel in the back and very loud. Uh, we uploaded the translation onto this solar speaker. And you were a part of that over the years. My first time I bought these was 2017. I bought 300 of these, and we passed them out to the region, to the 12 villages. I uploaded this book, I recorded this book, and I put it on the speakers so that they could listen to it in their homes as they're hiking through the jungle, as they're working. Uh, you know, you can hear them going off in the village. Then it, two years later, I bought 300 more, so 600 of these are now in the hands of the Korowai people. And you're a part of that, so I, I want to thank you so much for being a part of this in your prayer and support through the years because, I mean, these were $22 a piece from Singapore and they really hold up well in the jungle. And the goal in the future is to be able to put, next year I'd like to start translating the Gospel of Luke 
into the northern Korowai dialect, and the goal is to record that and put it on these solar speakers as well. So you can pray for that project. But we've done other projects as well. We've just finished translating Paul Washer's book, uh, The Gospel of Jesus Christ, Injil Jesus Christus, uh, into the Indonesian language, and you can see her holding that uh, in her on the left. Uh, you can see the translation, this book, she's holding it in her other hand, in her left hand. Then you can see we've also had a, a Bible project where we've done some Bible distribution. Uh, the Northern Korowai don't have the scriptures yet. That's the goal. Uh, when we go back is to focus on the scriptures. And I want to start in the Gospel of Luke uh, with some other materials as well. And then you can see when we passed out the translation, we had to take the helicopter to the villages. Uh, we went as a team. I never go anywhere alone. Uh, it's always a team effort. And again, like I said before, this is not Paul Snyder. This is about the Holy Spirit, what he's done in the Korowai tribe through the Danawage team. And so we always go with our teammates, uh, go with Waihu, our translator, and we were able to pass out this translation. Uh, gave a few books. Again, there's 95% illiteracy uh, among the adults. So it's, and still nobody can read the Korowai language yet. But we did pass out the solar speakers and a few booklets for them to start uh, working through in each of these churches. For many years, for eight years, we set it in my table in the jungle house, and you can see Waihu with me. Also, Irus is there. He's the one without the shirt. We would sit there for hours working through the, the language. And I'm going to be honest with you folks, I, many days I'd be stuck on one word. Sweat dripping onto my laptop, you know, onto the table. I'd put a towel down so that, you know, my elbows wouldn't drip sweat. And we would sit at this table and, you know, the Korowai don't have words for things like um, righteousness, um, justification. You know, those doctrinal words that are so common and so lovely to us, they don't have that. So I end up having to make a paragraph for those words to explain it. Uh, very difficult. And so I would sit for hours going, Lord, how do I translate this word? How do I make this clear? Um, so you can pray for that as we start the Gospel of Luke because there's going to be some hard text that uh, there's going to be no words for. And we've got to figure out uh, by the Holy Spirit's help how best to relate that um, as accurate as possible and stay true to the text. So that's the goal. So we sat for many, many hours, um, and my wife would prepare food, and uh, she would support us in this work. And um, Waihu is like a son to us. He lives with us. And now you can pray for Waihu in the bright um, neon shirt. Uh, he will, he m perhaps might be the first northern Korowai pastor in, in the northern Korowai region. And... Um, we're, we've been discipling him for years, and then I sent him off to Bible school in Sintani. Um, he's had a lot of training, and he's still under the, the leadership of Jimmy, some of the, the Donnie Christians that are there that are, that, are, that are our teammates. So you can pray for Waihu to be the first northern Korowai pastor. You can see our congregation. Sorry, I'll put the next one. This is the Danawagi Church. This is where my home is at. That's the central village. Um, this is most of the congregation on a Sunday morning after the service. Kind of want to take a picture of them to show you. Uh, you know, we just sit on a cement floor. The first, 
The first church was burnt down when false teachers came in and tried to steal some girls. Two women came in denying the Trinity, then wanted to take out several girls to their school, which taught to deny the Trinity. And the core why people uh, got very mad uh, at them and blamed it on the church, so they burnt the church down. And then we built another one, and it finally fell through. It rotted. And so the government came in when they were building the airstrip, and they built this building, a cement slab and um, a place to, to worship. It's very hot. Like Alan said, I'm usually soaking wet by the time I'm done, and after I finish preaching, I go lay down in front of a fan. So, uh, Here's another picture on a Sunday morning teaching. Uh, usually I use the uh, what's called Alkitab Burgambar. It's a series of picture booklets from uh, a, a Bible company out of Australia. They have eight picture booklets that go through salvation history. We, we did salvation history teaching for many years. I mean, they weren't ready for anything else. We had to go through redemptive history so that they would understand that all, everything is about Jesus Christ. Everything is fulfilled. The Old Testament is about Jesus. The New Testament is about Jesus. Everything is the culmination is Jesus Christ. They had to understand that redemptive flow and, uh, you know, man and uh, all the covenants. And we went through everything week after week, uh, standing and teaching. And then also with our little group that formed as well, that why he was a part of, uh, we spent hours upon hours teaching them. And I'm telling you folks, they, they had, these are uneducated men, right? They have, they have no education other than perhaps now some of them have third, fourth grade education. And they were asking questions as we would sit there and go through the scriptures with them. They were asking questions that seminary students don't even ask. It was just beautiful to watch uh, how God was working in them all these years so we went through salvation history for many years, and when I go back, I started all over, and I go back in it, and I go deeper and deeper uh, until they, and a lot of them memorize a lot of these stories, especially with the picture books, because they're, um, they're an oral culture. They listen better by storytelling. Uh, in fact, most tribes in Papua are that way. Um, it's a little different here in the States, but because oral cultures are that way, they really can retain when you stand up with picture books. Here's one of the seminars that we hold. Been doing that for the last three times. Excuse me. Yeah, the last three times I've been to Papua since I've been recovering. Uh, we're now holding Bible seminars, two-week Bible seminars, going through doctrines. Uh, I just finished up 1 Timothy 3 with the church leaders and getting ready to go what is, uh, talk about what is the gospel uh, in September with them, headed back in about four weeks. And, uh, you know, a lot of them, a lot of the church leaders that are in the Korowai have, have gone, wow, we've never heard anything like this. We have been cold. We have not been, you know, faithful in our ministry. And a lot of them have been convicted by the teaching and want to do a better job at being faithful to the Korowai ministry. So God is using, um, you know, the team that's been going. I've been going with several friends and we take turns teaching. Uh, but you can pray for these Bible seminars. Here's our church building. You can see the outside of it. Just a little structure cleared out in the middle of the jungle. Here is our teammates. Now, some of you that have been familiar with our updates over the years will recognize these, these people. Uh, on the left is Yus and Epiwea with their three children. 
Yus uh, is just a teddy bear of a guy. Uh, as soon as you saw him, or he saw you, he'd give you a big hug. And uh, he is the evangelist in the village an hour and a half from ours called Mabawage. I spent three years with him in this village hiking on Saturday and teaching together and medical work on Sunday. And he's still faithful there. But he also has a house in Danawage with us. Jimmy and Perrin Weah on the right with their children that they've adopted from the Korowai. Jimmy and Perrin are the dorm parents. They were really some of the first initial uh, Donnie people that came from the highlands into this lowland area. They were the first Donnie Christians that started uh, teaching mathematics, reading and writing, Bible, and science. Uh, and now, because of that, we formed a school with them over the years, and you'll get to see how that's developed. Faithful people. I mean, these are... I, I really wish some books would be written about what they've endured and what they've gone through over the years. So this is the Danawage team, including the man you saw hiking with me. I might have a picture of him coming up. This is usually what we do uh, once a cu- every couple of weeks. We meet in our home. You can see how it's screened in. Um, I'm living high off the hog. I've got zinc roof and solar panels. I've got lights. So we're living high on the hog there in the jungle. But we're having uh, the, t- the Denawage team over to the house for a meal and time of uh, in the Word. And we're passing out some good theological material. I mean, you think about it. How many books do you have at home? I know in my library, I've got tons of books. But these guys, they don't have hardly maybe just a handful of books because a lot of things have not been translated into the Dani language or the Indonesian language. So when we, when we find good books that have been translated, good theological books, I want to put it into their hands. And so you can see on the left in that picture, all the books stacked up that we're getting ready to pass out, theological material that they can learn from. And so we're able to pass out this material that Matt and I bought in Jakarta. So I'm very thankful for this team. Uh, God has been so kind to allow them to stay. You know, most, most evangelists that go into these areas from the highlands to these lowlands, uh, many of them die. Um, and um, parents almost died. Jimmy's almost died. And so it's, it's a blessing to be able to continue partnering with them in the Korowai. And they're doing well even as of today. So you can pray for the Denawage team. Here's Watinus on the left. He's holding the translation by John Piper, Pierced by the Word. And he would carry that book everywhere he went. And before church service, we'd be sitting there because it usually takes us about 30 to 40 minutes for the people to gather. We'll bang a shovel with a lead pipe as our bell. And it takes about 30 minutes to get, you know, for the people gathered. So he'll be sitting there in that hot church and he'll be reading Pierced by the Word in the Indonesian language. And he'll lean over to me and go, what does this mean? And I'll be able to explain it to him what that means. So he's very hungry. These, these, these Donnie Christians that I'm serving with are just hungry for the Word. They eat it up. They love it. And so I'm excited that we can continue that Bible training based on what the Scriptures command us in 2 Timothy 2.2. You can see Perrin. She's ministering to a treehouse guy that came out of the treehouse. Uh, that man has passed away, but she's preaching the gospel to him. And uh, that man actually would come to my house for batteries. Uh, every month he would come out of the treehouse and ask for AA batteries for his flashlight. 
but he passed away recently. And you can see Waihu in the church service now um, under the leadership of the team leading the church and growing. Pray that he becomes the pastor. Man, can you imagine the first Northern Korowai pastor in history? That would be such a blessing. A lot of the medical work that we do is, is just, it, it's almost like when we first got there, the medical work was 24-7. In fact, in 2016, I had a mental breakdown and uh, our sending church said, get off the island because we were so swamped with medical work and some things happening between the, the uh, village leader, some things that he was doing. And um, I, couldn't even, I couldn't even sit down without dropping my food off my plate or spilling my cup. I was so just mentally exhausted. And so our church said, get off the island. So we went to Bali for a month, exactly what we needed, because the medical work here is, it can be 24-7. And so you can see Jimmy here praying with uh, some sick people. Again, you know, our philosophy is um, just in Matthew 9, when Jesus went to all the villages, he went doing two things teaching the kingdom and healing the sick. So we treat the sick and preach the kingdom. And so does Jimmy and Perrin and Use, all the team. So they'll go to these houses and pray after they give medicine. They'll pray with the people that are sick, like these women that have um, different illnesses. You know, it could be from respiratory to um, typhoid to uh, tuberculosis to elephantitis to boils, to malaria. I mean, just on and on and on it goes. All these tropical diseases, and it can really overwhelm you. When we first got there, uh, Trish and I, did. we would take turns with our partners doing the medical work each week. And so you can see here, when we first got there, um, Kessia, the, the lady laying down, her husband got mad at her and threw a stick out of the fire and hit her in her cornea burnt her cornea uh, because she um, she committed adultery four times and he got mad at her and threw the stick out of the fire. She's now confessed that and repented of that and she's faithful in the church. However, their relationship has never been the same. He's always pretty violent. Uh, when we... When the women usually give birth, they'll give birth in a hole. They'll dig a hole in the village or in the jungle. They'll build a structure out of banana leaves, uh, out of sago leaves. And uh, they'll give birth, line, line the hole with banana leaves and um, give birth. If the, if the husband decides he doesn't want it, they'll leave the baby in the hole and cover it up. Uh, and that's happened. That was a normal activity when we got there. So many babies were killed that way. And several Korowai women that had really good character would go rescue some of these babies. Now we're not seeing that as much anymore, especially in the, in the uh, community that lives in the village. The treehouse people still perhaps exercise some of this uh, animism and um, custom, if you want to call it that. But so this picture is Yosina. Uh, Trish, my wife, went out to check on her. She's about to give birth and. Uh, we wanted to make sure that they weren't going to kill it because her husband has always been a thorn in my flesh. He actually killed two of their children uh, because he didn't want them. So it was very difficult. He's still plagued by his animistic um, stronghold. 
Usually when we give medicine to, uh, you know, a lot of what we call yaws, a lot of skin infections because of just the filthiness of the jungle, after one shot of penicillin, look at the difference. That's one shot of penicillin from the left to the right. One shot of penicillin because they've never had some of this medicine before. So whooping, festering sores, skin irritations become dried up within a matter of 24 hours with the right medicine. Now, we, when we first started, again, we were just plagued with medical. I mean, 12 midnight, 2 in the morning, 12 in the afternoon. Now, we have brought in two nurses that have taken over that. And you can see one of our nurses on the right there, Samuel. He goes with us and he'll treat the sick. And um, he does a fantastic job of ministering to the Korowai in our clinic. That clinic was established in 2014. And he's been faithful to do that. Unfortunately, his contract is about up, so we're probably going to get two new nurses. Here is Iris. I want to show you what God has done. When we first got there, Iris was the biggest murderer and the biggest thief in the Korowai. He confessed to killing seven people. And he said to me, I was the biggest thief in the Korowai. When somebody would leave their home, I'd break in and steal whatever I wanted. Or I'd go to a treehouse and I would take whatever I wanted. And he would lie in ambush and wait for people and kill them if he didn't like them. Now, God has saved him. He says, I don't want to do those things anymore. He says, I want to follow Jesus. And he has been faithful for years now uh, with the ministry, helping me with the medical, helping me as I go teach to different places. He'll pray. Uh, for a while there, he, he, you know, he had uh, two wives. So I told him, listen, you can't you know, lead the church because you have two wives. One of his older wife just passed away, um, but for many years I said you can pray in the church, you can give testimony, but you can't lead, um, and he understood that. But he's been very faithful. I mean, showing the fruit. His wife Tabita, in the picture there, also we baptized her and him in 2017 in the river, and this is what God can do. That's the power of the gospel. Listen, when you take the gospel into a place like this, or even if it's in Oklahoma City, the gospel changes everything. It breaks all those strongholds. Just like it broke your stubborn heart, your dead heart that was dead in sin. And it does the same in the jungle. And so, Iris and Tabita, very thankful for this couple. Um, and I'm praying they stay faithful. So you can ask God to continue to strengthen them in His Word as we teach them, because they, they don't have a Bible in their language. So we have to teach them and spend a lot of time with them. The dormitory, the orphanage, was established in 2017. We did a dedication. The Samuel Danawagi Dormitory. This is a ministry that is ongoing. Um, right now I'm praying for this ministry because it's uh, we want to see it continue going due to s certain circumstances that have happened with the Danawagi team. Um, it needs to continue. There are 30 children now in the dorm, boys and girls from all over the Korowai region that have no access to uh, education, have no access to medical care. Uh, they're, now they're receiving three meals a day, medical care, two Bible lessons a day, preparing them to enter our school later. And Jimmy and Perrin are handling this dorm. So you can ask God to provide for this dorm, and you can ask God to, to strengthen Jimmy and Perrin because she just about wears herself out, and I'm afraid that she's going to fall sick if, 
if we don't uh, try to get some more help for her. So this dormitory ministry is now five years to six years functioning, and we want to see that continue going. We planted a school in 2014. Uh, We built buildings. Now we have five teachers from the capital in Indonesia, Jakarta. We have five teachers on contract, Indonesians, and they live here in the village um, with us. And they have school Monday through Friday with all the subjects. We have kindergarten through eighth grade. You can see them all in uniform. And we have ninth and tenth grade non-formal. So we're yet to have the 11th and 12th grade yet. And we're hoping to add those grades as the years go so that they don't have to be sent out of the village to go to school. Um, It's often been asked, well, why don't you just relocate children if the opportunities aren't there? Well, these are tribal children. That's all they know. Most tribal children that are sent to, school, to cities end up falling into grievous sins and aren't uh, accountable to anyone and can just you know, freely do what they want and then they're lost. So it's better to build all these kinds of things, this, um, the school there in the village. Here are our teachers. We have five teachers and two nurses on contract. And so that's really freed us up to be able to you know, do more teaching and concentrate more on the, the ministry side and translation of things. Uh, when they go out for breaks, we're caught with the medical again, and um, not with the schoolwork, but because they're on holiday, but we're caught with the medical while they're out of town. So you can pray for our teachers. You can see some of the children in the school with our teacher, Septinus. And um, in the school, they're taught their gardens. That's part of their curriculum to plant gardens because you know, grow your own food. Uh, it's a very strict regiment. You know, they have to brush their teeth before they come. They have to come in uniform. They have to be clean. They have to bathe. Uh, they have to bring their lunch, bring a little bit of sago bread and a vegetable. Uh, the parents are taught how to nurture their children, to walk them to school. You know, even though their, their house is maybe 50 feet away from the school, they have to walk them to school. Uh, they learn how to wash their, I mean, wash their hands. Everything is taught so that they can have a, um, a healthier life. Because in the jungle, diseases just abound. And it, you, can get, you can fall sick very quickly. So we're thankful for what God has done in the school. And uh, for what He's done in the dormitory. I think I'm going to stop here. My time's up. And for um, what He's done in the church. And for what He's done in translation. All these things over the years. God is so faithful. And... Uh, you're a part of that. So I thank you, Northwest Bible Church, for um, all your love for us and prayers over the years. And I'm sorry my wife could not be here this morning, but she sends her love to you as well. Thank you.